Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hi everyone, my name is Eric Arno, and this is the second part of the Neurolog Presents Your Story September podcast. This month we're saying goodbye to Neurolog member Alex Talavera, who left us all to become an adult in Denver, Colorado, or something. To send him off in style, we handed the reins of the show over to Alex. He hosted, he requested the music, and he picked the topic. The topic, if you couldn't tell from the episode title, is Best Laid Plans. And to ruminate on that today, we've got Nerdalog members Steve Persh, Mary Beth Smith, and Chris Geiger, as well as local comedians Mary Zemitis and Nate Bechtel, librarian extraordinaire Chris Crotwell, and Alex's wife, not to mention my very good friend, Allison McWilliams Brooks Talavera. Plus, there's a tune from me and Dwight Hassler at the end. I hope you've been enjoying the new Nerdalog family of podcasts this month. Uh, in case you missed them, Your Stories now has a couple cousins, the hilarious chat comedy show The Nerdalogcast, hosted by Chris Geiger, and the wonderful MBSing with Mary Beth Smith, in which Mary Beth sits down with a friend to dissect and embrace something he or she loves. Both are great and are worth your time, and hey, you should give all three of our shows reviews on iTunes. There might be something in it for you, but we'll get into that a little bit next month. Uh, for now, the next Nerdalog sketch show will be Sunday, October 6th at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The show is called The Nerdalog Presents Screw These Guys, Am I Right? And shows what happens when the group goes our separate ways, kind of like that Journey song. Uh, the next Your Stories recording will be two weeks later, on Sunday the 20th, and will have the theme Other Options to tie in with the sketch show. Come on out, tell a story, maybe get on the podcast. It's as simple as that. For now, though, please enjoy this and all of our other shows. Nerdalogs member and huge dick haver. <laughs> Steve Persh, everybody. Man. <laughs> all right. Uh... Shit down with Nika. So, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. So, I first played my guitar uh, in public out of your stories. This is the first time I'd ever played in front of people. And uh, one of the reasons that I was pleased with how well that went a year and a half ago uh, was because of how quickly and how loud Alex Talavera laughed when he realized that my song about Billy the Kid was actually about... Bill and Ted's Billy the Kid. <laughs> uh, this song, this song is also about an, an historical figure uh, who has been represented in movies, specifically a, a Brad Pitt movie. Um, and uh, yeah, catch you thinking so far. Uh, so this song also has uh, a call and response aspect to it. So. Uh, whenever I say this person's name, I want you to say it back. So if I were to say, Priam! Priam! Let's try that one more time. Priam! Priam! Excellent, I think we've got it. And it's right at the beginning of the song. I am Priam! Priam! King of Troy and the father of 50 sons. 
<laughs> I'll fight the Greeks for another week until this war is won. I am Priam, Priam, king of Troy and the father of fifty sons. I didn't want this war, but I will fight it till Agamemnon and his blood run. In my youth I swung a mighty sword and I cut invaders down. My will is strong as the city walls and I bended the maidens of town. I took Hecuba for my queen and the strongest son she bore. Princes and heirs, they bring me pride, the greatest one, Hector. Paris is another with a hanging omen, we nearly killed him at birth. Then he returned with a new wife, Helen, and the largest army on earth. I am Priam, Priam, king of Troy and the father of fifty sons. I'll fight the Greeks for another week until this war is won. I am Priam, Priam, king of Troy and the father of fifty sons. I didn't want this war, but I will fight it till Menelaus and his blood run. Ten years of arrows and boiling oil, Apollo fight for me. Let us break their backs and send these fools across the Aegean Sea. I hear a cry, Hector grabs his armor, kisses Andromache by. Out he runs to face Myrmidons, the decisive battle is nigh. Hector falls at Achilles' spear, now behind a chariot. Bring back his body, you son of a bitch, so I can bury it. I am Priam, king of Troy, and the father of fifty sons. Father of forty-nine sons. I'll fight the Greeks for another week until this war is won. For I am Priam, king of Troy, and the father of fifty sons. I want this war, but I will fight it till Achilles and his blood run. In the silence of night, I find Achilles and I beg and kiss his hands. I don't blame him and he can see I've suffered more than any man. War is war and on the fortnight will return to enemies. But what is this? The Greeks have fled. I fall down to my knees. Sing and dance and go to sleep with the god Nike. For I am Priam, King of Troy, and the father of fifty sons. I fought the Greeks for ten long years, and now the war is won. To lock my pillow by the sound of swords, why have I awoke? They were hiding in the horse. Holy Hades, this has to be a joke. Grab your bow, draw your aim above Achilles' toes. Shut up, Cassandra, we're all gonna die. No time for I go to toes. <laughs> Grab two coins for the boatman and to the altar of Zeus. The city is sacked, all is lost, there will not be a truce. From Priam, King of Troy and the father of fifty sons. I fought the Greeks till my last breath, and now this war is done. I am Priam, king of Troy and the father of fifty sons. I didn't want this war, but I have fought it and Odysseus made my blood run.
<laughs> straight up. Steve, <laughs> straight up. Steve Perch should not actually even be a member of the Nerdalogs. He should probably just be releasing his own uh, musical histories. <laughs> uh, straight to MB3. That's the fucking second of his song that he did 100% without anyone else's fucking input at all that have uh, rocked this fucking house. Uh, so, Steve, just quit. Um, <laughs> next song is. <laughs> Up next! Mary Beth Smith. Cool. The first thing I wanted to be when I grew up paleontologist. When? Fifth grade. Why? Mostly because I liked digging and I liked dinosaurs. <laughs> I dug holes on the playground every day at recess. Alone. <laughs> the second thing I wanted to be when I grew up? A chemist. When? Eighth grade. Why? Mostly because we took a career aptitude test, and that's what it told me. <laughs> uh, but also because I like the idea of mixing shit together and like finding out what was in shit and making shit blow up. <laughs> the third thing I wanted to be when I grew up, a forensic scientist. When? Tenth grade. Why? Because I fucking love Gil Grissom. <laughs> For those of you not familiar... Shame on you, but Gil Grissom was the head of the Las Vegas crime lab on the popular television series CSI. Most teenaged girls watching CSI would have had crushes on Nick Stokes or Warwick Brown as they were both young, stereotypically attractive men. But Gil Grissom, as played by Steppenwolf ensemble member William Peterson, was older and smarter and uh, wittier than those guys. Even at a young age, I knew what I liked. Uh, but more than my passionate yearning for Gil Grisham and my hatred for his eventual girlfriend Sarah and my intrigue for his fling with Lady Heather guys we can talk about it after the show uh, <laughs> I wanted to use forensic science to help people I wanted to use science to solve puzzles justice puzzles <laughs> Uh, I went into college with the intention of getting an undergraduate chemistry degree and a graduate forensic science degree. That was the plan. But college happened. I joined the improv team. I was in productions and took classes with the theater department. I studied abroad in the UK and Ireland with the theater, history, and English departments my junior year, etc. When I got back from Europe... I had an incredibly difficult term, physical chemistry too and analytical chemistry, as well as directing and readings in dramatic literature, a class where we read a different play for each time it met. Uh, all very time-consuming outside of class with labs and reading, along with the productions of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead and the vagina monologues that I was participating in, the two directing class shows I was in, and my continued participation with the improv team. I was swamped. I didn't sleep. I... Ate a lot still. Uh, but I had never felt more creatively exhilarated in my entire life. I kind of dreaded my chemistry coursework at the time, partially because I had a disdain for one of my professors who accused me of, uh, for an extra credit assignment, we had to write a review of something that we had gone to see on campus. And I wrote a review of one of the plays that I was in. Uh, and I told him I was in it. Um, so that wasn't the part that he uh, had displeasured with <laughs> at the end of what I had written he said did you write this 
it's really good. (laughs) It was insulting. Uh, Anyway, I hated that guy. Um, That's very much a tangent, but I felt like I needed to mention it. And another reason that I was really being turned off by the chemistry department. Uh, And I I was absolutely thriving in all my rehearsal time. I referred to the period precociously as my quarter-life crisis. Another side note. Can you be precocious as a 20-year-old? I don't know. Uh, And I spoke to my theater friends and my theater professors about this quarter-life crisis very openly. I knew I didn't want to go to grad school for science when I uh, graduated the next year, and it terrified me. I I thought I'd had such a good plan, but I settled on finishing my chemistry degree as I was very close and, and using that degree to support my passion for the theater department. My theater professors were incredibly supportive, and when I eventually told my parents towards the end of the term, through nervous, frightened tears, they were incredibly supportive, too. And at the end of the next year, instead of going to grad school, I packed up all my shit and moved to a city I'd never been to before. Uh, Cut to the last four days. I've been at my new job at a place called Axion Labs, uh, essentially TAing for classes being taught to 20 defense lawyers. Uh, helping them grasp concepts of drug and alcohol-related forensic chemistry. I have learned an incredible amount about how ill-regulated and imprecise forensics can be while it's still being accurate if executed properly. It it was fascinating, and the lawyers were so hungry for knowledge, and it was an absolutely exhilarating experience, and I can't wait to continue working there. Uh, Because I was leaving the class to go directly to a show after each night of the last four nights, including this one. It was also exhausting. It was a lot like being in college, except I'm getting paid, and I live in Chicago, and the shows are at reputable theaters, not student unions, and uh, and a lot of other reasons that are so different from college. I can legally drink. Uh, <laughs> legally being the operative word. Uh, Saturday afternoon at lunch, I ended up getting caught up in telling my bosses and some of the class members about the comedy I'm involved in Chicago, and they loved it. Uh, last night at the Annoyance, I ended up talking about my job to some of my uh, comedy-related colleagues there, and they loved it, and I'm really happy. So it would appear as though my change in plans wasn't really a change in the end. It was more of a postscript wherein I added a passion for perform- performing, and a post-postscript wherein I learn about and practice forensics without being in a cruddy lab being bared down upon by the law. While I'm not sure if I've actually become the thing I wanted to be when I grew up, per se, or that I've grown up at all, or where this all will eventually lead, I am sure of one thing. Gil Grisham is still really fucking hot. Uh, you can see Mary Beth Smith uh, next in her live performance, Mary Beth Smith, Las Vegas, uh, <laughs> Forensics Unit. Uh, she's really good, you guys. Uh, up next, you guys have seen his dumb beard. <laughs> it's not me. Around forever. Chris Geiger. <laughs> Uh, Steve, don't quit. 
<laughs> Please. <laughs> Please don't quit. Oh, man, my beard is eternal. <laughs> oh, man, my beard is eternal. It feels like it's eternal. It's uh, a letter. Dear man who stole my catalytic converter from underneath my car while I was at six months. Hi, friend. Can I call you friend? Or do you prefer asshole, jerk, fuckface, explosive diarrhea, cum dumpster, piece of shit, the surface of my ass after I shit, or perhaps Ted? Let's go with Ted. Hi, Ted. I get it. Six Flags is not as great as advertised. (laughs) And I tried really hard to have a good time, and for the most part, I succeeded. I don't quite have a stomach for the roller coasters, I admit. But I took in a couple, and boy, did I take in the candy. (laughs) And the milkshakes. And the Panda Express, yes sir, was Panda Express. And it was glorious, especially the Panda Express. (laughs) Ted, it was a rare day. A a rare day of pleasure and decadence, a true moment of peace and delight with friends in the face of a 70 plus hour work week and crushing solitude of being a producer of a theater with a full-time job who enjoys writing by himself. Ted, I needed that day. I wanted that day. And that day ended well when we stayed a little bit later for funnel cake. Until we started the car at 6 p.m. and found it sounded, found it sounded fiercer uh, than usual. We also found that a part of the underside of the car was damaged. Nay, missing. Nay, stolen. Ted. <laughs> we were there for hours. We did not get out of Gurney, Illinois until midnight. If you've never spent a considerable amount of time with a broken-down car at least an hour away from home in a parking lot before, I don't recommend it. (laughs) Parking lots don't have a lot of entertainment value. And when you are parked outside of a theme park and just watch from a distance people having fun, the fun you just had, (laughs) it's a long amount of waiting. Over the course of the evening, we got to know the head of security, a man named Mark. Mark was an older, a big older man, and he had the countenance of an older professor in an elementary education program, kind, smart, and thoughtful. He tried his best to alleviate our pains, and in the waning hours after our first unsuccessful attempt at an escape from the park, yes, there was multiple attempts. When we laid uncomfortably in the security office by the entrance to the parking lot of the park, he gave us advice and kindness when we were concerned about our plans to get home. And when all hope was lost, we received a call from a towing company that would actually take us home to Chicago, very much like Adventures in Babysitting, (laughs) appropriately named Angels Towing. And as we basked in the glow of our potential savior, we talked to Mark, and he revealed that he was a pastor in the town and uh, had a master's degree in religion. He drove us to our car, and as we waited for the tow truck after the entire parking lot had emptied and the park was quiet... He talked about how the park appeared in the winter, why he had this job, about his children, his grandchildren, and what his joys were. And as we left the park in the back of a tow truck, and as Joe slept, and as Julie and I talked about shows that were coming up in the theater, I couldn't help but think about what an incomparable night that was. Ted, I'm not going to thank you for that evening. (laughs) In fact, 
fuck you and your stupid fucking face, you dumb piece of shit. (laughs) But Ted, I hope that someday you'll be able to see the silver lining in that deep, dark hellscape that is certainly, almost certainly that piece of garbage life that you have. Look for the marks in the world. They want to help. Thanks. Uh, I was, I was at Six Flags that day, uh, and an entire car full of us took the fuck off before we knew that somebody had stolen the catalytic converter from Chris Geiger's car. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, Jeremy Kane, who's in the front row, he volunteered to come up to drive to Gurney and pick everyone up. And we were about halfway up there when they called us and said that the actual tow truck was there. But uh, that was probably the shittiest end to an awesome day ever. Uh, I love roller coasters. And I will say that I would still do that again. <laughs> even if it meant Chris getting stuck in that parking lot. Because that shit was the bomb. Have you guys been on the X-Wing? That's like crazy. Um, Up next is Mary Zemitis. Um, Alex, I'm real sad to see you go, but I think you picked such a great last theme for for your last Your Stories. I just think it, it fully encapsulates the idea of the folly of mankind and that we as humanity ultimately have no control over what happens in our lives. Also, it's kind of a fun pun for two people making plans to bone. (laughs) Um, And lucky for you guys, my story will encapsulate both ideas. So one night, one late night during my last semester in college... I was having sex with my best guy friend, because I'm a really good friend. (laughs) We hadn't always had a a friends with benefits situation. Um, We'd been friends for years um, and just hung out all the time without any sort of of, of sexual component. Um, But unfortunately, during my last semester in college, I uh, experienced a very sad and tragic death in the family. Um, One of the worst things that's ever happened to me in my life. And it was very difficult um, and very emotional. And my best guy friend was there for me throughout the entire experience and just completely supported me. And I just thought, if his shoulder is good enough for me to cry on, (laughs) this audience is so smart I don't even have to finish that joke (laughs) and that's why I love your stories (laughs) so so this one night in particular um, we finished the sex. Um, we completed the sex. 
And I was just like, yeah, like, this is so great. Like, I'm graduating in a couple months, and I've got this, like, awesome, like, fun and fancy free situation going on. Don't kind of worry about, like, any emotional entanglements or any drama. <laughs> it was great. And then, so he, he took the condom off, and instead of tossing it in the waste paper basket like a gentleman ought to... <laughs> He started looking at it? No. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw him looking at it, and I just thought to myself, oh my god, I can't believe he's checking out his cum right now. That is so weird! And then I noticed a look of concern on his face. And I thought, oh God, he is not checking out his cum. Oh no. And he looked at me and he said, Mary, it's broken. And I was like, fuck. (laughs) And we both completely started freaking out because neither of us had been in this situation. I mean, my Bible camp purity retreats had not prepared me for a situation like this before. I did not know what to do. And we were like both freaking out. And he was like, uh, 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 Mary, don't worry. Uh, uh, I had some time on my hands today. Uh, so uh, there wasn't much loaded in the chamber, if you know what I'm saying. I'm like, this is not the time to talk about this. <laughs> and so we were both freaking out, but we calmed down and we did what all college students do when they need to know the answer to something. And we looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> and we're like, okay, cool, cool, okay. There's, there's a plan B pill. Okay, and we can get it at Planned Parenthood for free. High five, bonus. What is up? We cured this sticky situation. Awesome. And we were like so relieved. Okay, we know we know what we're gonna do. Until we realized that Planned Parenthood was closed the next day, because Planned Parenthood is closed on Sundays. Which is total bullshit. (laughs) Out of all the days that Planned Parenthood should be open, Sunday morning is the day. is the titular morning after in the morning after pill. I'm just talking statistics here, okay? Sorry, I've had whiskey. Statistics. No one is making drunken mistakes during office hours, okay? So we were like, okay, what do we do? And we're like, okay, cool. We can, we can still get the plan B pill at CVS for 50 bucks. It's dumb. But we were like, okay, okay, we, we can still get it. Everything's going to be fine. And we were so relieved that, that we had handled the situation perfectly. We'd done it. And everything was going to be okay. And then 
a moment of si- a little bit of silence kind of fell over us, and we realized the gravity of the situation that this fun and fancy free fen- friends with benefits situation was actually something that had real emotional and physical consequences and that we were never, ever going to be the same again. And we never were. And it was also, at that moment... I realized I still wasn't wearing clothes. (laughs) Thank you guys very much. Um, So I would like to tell you my uh, plan B story. But I won't. Uh, <laughs> up next, my goddamn good friend Nate, whatever the fuck his last name is. <laughs> I like knowing how close Alex and I are. <laughs> Nate, what's his face? To be fair, we've had such good memories. Like when you were the guy with the beard who was nice to me that one time. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> um, so I'm a kind of guy who tends to overplan a lot of things. I tend to overthink things to the point that they kind of sabotage me and then I ruin things. Prime example being when my good friend Drew Crail asked me if I wanted to play Magic the Gathering with him and I said I have nothing else to do. So he whooped my ass, and then I went back to school, and I had three months, and I thought to myself, fuck Drew, I'm going to learn the rules, I'm going to get better than him, I'm going to beat him while I come back to Chicago. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> Except when I came back to Chicago, he still kicked my ass, so fuck him. Then, it, then Andrew Bentley kicked my ass, so fuck him. <laughs> and then Eric kicked my ass, but I mean, come on, oh, it's Eric, how can you stay mad at that? Miriam, <laughs> yeah. Nate Bechtel, everybody. Yeah. He's like a bearded teddy bear. But anyway, my obsessive planning extends into way too much of my life to the point that when I think I'm going to go out, I look at what restaurants are in the area. When I'm going to dress myself, I think to myself, who's going to be there? What are they going to wear? Should I match them? Should I not match them? Is Kyle going to be there? Kyle's going to judge the shit out of me. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, to my private life as well. I guess it's going to be making out. Um, should I look up how to do this? Should I look up how to do this? I googled uh, cunnilingus in the hopes to learn how to do it like it was a video game strategy guide. <laughs> because those two things are way too fucking similar. First of all, let's address... You don't ever hear... Up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right, 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 right. You don't ever hear that except in the context of two things. <laughs> yeah, Claire's on board. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, you gotta address it. I mean, first of all, you have a girl. Obviously, she's the boss. Uh, and then you have to know, you have to get past her shields with combos. So, kiss, kiss, neck, neck, bite the earlobe, shirts off. Then you keep going down from there. Down, down, little play, grumpy, grumpy, bitey, bitey. Bras off, pants off. Up until you're getting down to the serious stuff where it's thigh kiss, up and down, repeat everything you've done until the last shield's off and you have the weak spot. You know it's the weak spot because it's pink. <laughs> no, that's how it helped me. I thought of it like a game and it works just as well, people. <laughs> And uh, it's actually that dumb mindset led to a very awkward situation um, where... (laughs) I like Steve a lot. (laughs) Um, Led to a very dumb situation where I was informed that a very particular moment was very good and I was still very much in the guy in the game mindset so I heard it was good rather than say anything romantic or anything sexy instead I'm far removed from that territory look her in the eyes and I go high score and I raise up my hand for that high five that never came I'm like her so there (laughs) and that's what I have for y'all tonight I want everyone in the back to know how on board with this Claire was. So yeah, I mean the theme is best laid plans, and uh, sometimes that shit don't work out. Uh, So that was the point of my monologue. Yeah, sometimes it just fucking falls on its goddamn face. Chris Crotwell. Sometimes it just falls on its goddamn face. Um, says a lot about how I felt this month. Um, I've never had any plans. And when I sat down to think about having a story for this month, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, all the times the hilarious things have fallen apart. And I realized that um, I didn't have any plans. I didn't have any plans to talk about. And lately I've sort of been beating myself up about this, uh, feeling aimless, feeling lazy. Uh, feeling unproductive or unsuccessful and just shitty in general because I've never had any plans. I went to school, I made A's because it was easy. I went to college because that's what you do. That wasn't my plan, that's the plan. That's the plan, right? Marriage wasn't a plan. Marriage is what happened to me when a failing relationship between two people who were terrified of losing the status quo made a horrible decision. Subsequently, divorce was also a thing that just happened. My move to Chicago was slapdash and irresponsible. I shoved everything I could fit in a Ford Focus, and I drove up here with no prospects and no job to start paying rent in an apartment with two of my best friends, and I had no idea how I was going to do it. And I've started to let myself feel sort of bad about some of that. Maybe I need to think harder. Maybe I need to have a plan, but fuck, that requires all that planning shit. Which I just always hated. Um, and the last couple of days, I wanted to think about it a little bit and, and get back to my roots. Uh, and I don't think that never having a plan 
is so bad. Um, in the sixth grade, my English teacher asked us to give a presentation on any book that we'd read. And I'd recently decided I was Taoist uh, due to this, The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff, one of my favorite books ever written and something that I read every year. Um, and I don't know how much any of you know about Taoism, but read as a sixth grader um, and as a even as a permanently adolescent adult, which is where I find myself right now, uh, it's sort of like a user's guide to being happy about being aimless. Um, it's about meandering with purpose, right? I started to think that me never having plans was a way to lower a bar that I was uncomfortable with. A way to reset expectations so that I didn't have to feel bad about what I was starting to perceive as a lack of success. But I don't think it's that. Um, these are about meandering with purpose. This is one of my copies of the Tao Te Ching. Uh, one of my four copies. Translations everything. Uh, it's very, very important. And um, as a sixth grader, I would like you to have a, like a tiny idea of what I was filling my head with and what helped make me the person that I am and bring me to this place. Thirty spokes converge upon a single hub. It is in the hole in the center that the use of the cart hinges. We make a vessel from a lump of clay. It is the empty space within the vessel that makes it useful. We make doors and windows for a room. But it is these empty spaces that make the rooms livable. Thus, while the tangible has advantages, it is the intangible that makes it useful. I know, right? <laughs> I was a sixth grader, and... I really let this permeate me. When I got to college, I decided to get a philosophy and religious studies degree because that's the humanities or the sanctuary of the, the aimless man without a plan. And then when I finished college, I realized that those were completely useless, and I became a librarian. Not because that had been a plan, because I decided I was too lazy for law school and I really loved books. And so here I find myself in not the best place all the time. But I've realized that it's not a problem. I don't like planning. It doesn't suit me. I like wandering. I walk out of the city. I don't like having somewhere to go. I walk without direction. I don't like direction. I don't want control. I've never wanted control. I want to give up control. And instead of doing that effectively and, and living in the present and trying to be that mouse, I let myself get distracted with drinking because that's a great way to lose control. And a great way to feel better about yourself. <laughs> Though occasionally, sometimes a great way to feel worse. And relationships. Because everybody knows those are the best distraction. From the big problems. And none of that made me feel any better. Because I was doing it wrong. I'm not aimless. I'm not shiftless. I'm not lazy. Being a leaf in the wind is not a problem for me. I like it. I don't want to plan, and I don't think it's a problem that I don't have one. And I refuse to let my success be judged on whether or not I've achieved a bulleted list. Because that's not made me feel good, ever. And it's not something that I've ever wanted to do. It just doesn't suit me. And that's not a good or a bad thing, it's just a thing that's true about me. And being me is fine, and living the way that I want to live is going to cause me problems. It's going to make some people think certain things. And it's going to put me in odd spots. 
And it's going to make it hard to thrive sometimes. But I'm going to do it on my own terms. I wander with purpose. Meandering is what I am. I don't want control. I don't want direction. Four months ago, I started a relationship with someone and subsequently fell like terribly in love who I knew was moving 300 miles away in four months. And that is not something that a sane man with a plan does. That is a reckless and irresponsible thing to do for my heart, for theirs. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't change my marriage. I wouldn't change ending up in Chicago. It's put me in this room with all these beautiful people who I love dearly. It's given me a space to thrive and think and grow. And none of this would have happened if I had a plan. None of you lovely people who I care so much about would be in my life if I'd been the sort of person who made a bulleted list, got a chemistry degree, got married, moved to the suburbs. Because I don't know how to do that. And I'm never going to know how to do that. And I refuse to feel bad about it. The five colors blind the eye. The five tones deafen the ear. The five flavors cloy the palate. Racing and hunting madden the mind. Rare goods tempt men to do wrong. Therefore... The sage takes care of the belly, not the eye. He prefers what is within to what is without. I'm a belly dude all the way. (laughs) I do things that I want to do, not necessarily because I have great reasons to do them, but because it's what I want to do. I like to eat, I like to drink, I like to have sex, and I like to go on stupid adventures with consequences, and that's fine. And it's always going to be fine. Ambition isn't for me. And aspiration is bullshit. And I've never had any space for either of them in my life. And I think that's okay. Um, Because at the end of the day, I can be aimless. And I can have no ambition. And I can meander without direction. And so far, that's made a pretty fucking incredible life for me. And I'm glad every day that I have the one that I have. Uh, yeah, all I really wanted to say is that I'm 100% in fucking line with this guy. Ask, uh, I agree with him 100%. I also view myself as Taoist. However, there is one thing that aspiration has uh, benefited everyone, and that is no reservations with Anthony Bourdain. That is some fucking as- <laughs> that is some fucking aspirational bullshit that everyone can enjoy. A guy who just travels the world eating food and talking about it. You you can't get that shit just being a Taoist. Um, I I fucking will 100% agree with everything he said, except for that no no reservations is the bomb. Alex Talavera. Uh, first, thank you, Chris. Uh, I do want to introduce our last storyteller. I felt like Alex shouldn't do it because he is biased. Um, so these last few months, we've been saying goodbye to people. We said goodbye to uh, to Chris Cartwell's girlfriend. Unfortunately, last month we're saying goodbye to Alex. We're also saying goodbye to his lovely wife, Allison McWilliams Brooks Talavera, who has been a wonderful presence at your stories and just in my life in general. 
Um, you guys gave me a place to go last Thanksgiving when I had nowhere to go, and that means the world to me. And uh, Allison, please share. I use herbal essences. <laughs> I, I do really want to thank Eric for creating this night and for giving me a space to tell stories. Um, I don't like being by myself on stage very much because I like um, hogging it from other people. <laughs> if any of you have seen me perform improv, you know that that's very true. Um, I would also like to preface my five minutes by going back to Alex's monologue and saying that I never heard the grandma dating monologue that he referred to, and I don't want to know about it. <laughs> Ever. Um, I've met his grandma, and she's sweet and nice, and that's all I want to know about her. <laughs> um, so, uh, this is the last thing I'm doing in Chicago creatively before I go, um, which is really big for me. And also, I did not plan my monologue tonight <laughs> purposely uh, because I I am not like Chris Crotwell. Uh, I love plans, and I, I don't like surprises. Bill Cankle, if you're still here, I don't, I, I don't like surprises. Uh, I'm very, very type A. In fact, when I heard Reese Witherspoon named her production company Type A Productions, I was very happy about that because I admire her heart-shaped face and <laughs> and her and her incredibly sincere performance in Cruel Intentions. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> That movie's really good, and if you don't know the backstory, I'd be happy to tell you about it. <laughs> about her and Ryan Felipe's relationship at that time. I read a lot about it. Um, <laughs> I love I love plans. I plan a lot. A lot of my plans have to do with the severe social anxiety that I have. I really, really like knowing what I'm going to order before I go to a restaurant. I really, really hate that Alex does not know what he wants to order when he goes to a restaurant. <laughs> I like to be at the airport two and a half hours before a flight. Alex likes to be there 25 minutes before a flight. Um, so there's been a lot of adjustments <laughs> since we started dating. Um, but even as a, as a child, like I really, really wanted to know what was going to happen. I, I wanted to be in control of everything, and I didn't like that I didn't know the future. And And I found a lot of comfort in Christianity because it seemed like there was like a total plan and I was like great I'll I'll be a Calvinist I can't dance but everything is laid out for me <laughs> um, and and then uh, by like the age of 16 I had I had my life plan in place like I was gonna be married by 24 have my first baby by 26 and I was gonna be the single greatest child legal advocate slash family law attorney in the country. Um, and if you think 24 is young, just consider the fact that I went to high school with, like, 2,000 Mormons. 
24 was an old age for getting married. And all my Mormon friends are married right now. And have lots of babies, and they're very adorable, and they have blue eyes. Um, (laughs) But then, like, I went to college, and it was like, oh, Satan, and hemp, and... And I, I majored in women's and gender and sexuality studies. And, and, and then I did not have a husband by the time I was 24. I had, um, an apartment in Chicago because I moved here, um, based on a very foolhardy plan, which started when I fell in love with a guy who was on the improv team at my college. A lot of you guys know him. His name is Tyler Sowles. Hi, Tyler, if you're listening. Um, I I made a plan to woo Tyler, um, which was to audition for the improv team. And I didn't know how to do improv, so I was like, well, it won't matter. He'll see that I have bodacious boobs and... <laughs> and the rest will take care of itself. And then he... He dated my roommate, and, and I got on the improv team. <laughs> and Tyler and I had lots of great improv shows and, and no sex. And then, and then he was moving to Chicago, and I decided to move to Chicago, so I moved here. And then my plan of like being married by 24 like wasn't happening, because my boyfriend moved to Korea... And broke up with me on Valentine's Day. I was in a bathtub. It was that's a whole other story. Um, but I had this new plan when I moved to Chicago, which was like, okay, I'll move to Chicago and I'll be brilliant and amazing, and I'll be on Saturday Night Live, and and then I'll I'll have my own show like Parks and Rec, and everyone will be like, she's the next Amy Puller. Um, <laughs> I'm not, because she married Will Arnett, and I married a much better man. (laughs) But, uh, but then I moved to Chicago, and like, and none of, and none of those plans worked out, because it was like, I planned to perform at IO for years and years and years, and then I performed at IO, and six months in, they were like, you're not Harold T. Material. (laughs) <laughs> and and I planned to 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 be brilliant and single. And at the age of twenty four, I, ha- I had decided to be the kooky single aunt in my family, who like lived in the attic of one of my sister's homes, and like, but always had good gum, and <laughs> and like good magazines, and like wore cool clothing. And, and I had resigned myself to like consistently being single, but always dating sarcastic assholes. And, and then I like went on a date with this guy, um, who asked me out in a very awkward manner. Um, and, and then like on the second date when I was like, we're just doing this for fun. Like my plan was that we were just going to do this for fun. And I'd have a story like, you know, similar to Mary's, which was like, we were just friends and then we had a pregnancy scare and it was hilarious. Um, but, 
But instead, like on our second date, he showed up and was like, I read your senior thesis about welfare in the state of Minnesota and how it affects LGBT communities. And I was really impressed. (laughs) Yeah. And that thing was 120 pages long. Um, and then, like, I fell, I fell in love with this guy, and we ended up, like, getting married or whatever. Um, <laughs> and we decided to move to Colorado so that he could pursue his dream of, of writing. And a lot of people have been asking me recently, like, about our plans. And it occurred to me that all of my plans that I've ever made have been about like things that I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be famous or, you know, I wanted to be the only person in my dorm who could drink 11 shots without passing out. And (laughs) which I could do. I can't anymore. Um, (laughs) But it's not that I don't want to have plans anymore. I mean, I'm not Andrew Bentley. I can't live fast and loose like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I decided like in all this talk about like why we were moving and, and, and what was happening with that. And like, Oh, you're, you're leaving this great community and you're like Denver. (sighs) What do they have? Like a lot of healthy people, (laughs) Um, that like all of the plans I've made so far like first of all haven't happened but secondly were like just about things I wanted to do and not about the person I wanted to be and so I still do I do have plans but they're a lot more about who I want to be than about what I want to do and um I want to be the kind of person that can support my husband in pursuing a dream that he's always wanted to do. And I want to be the kind of person who is healthy and makes healthy decisions and, you know, isn't going to, like, you know, die of liver failure because Chicago is great but has really, really supported a lot of alcoholic tendencies in me and um and I want to be the kind of person who like when people in my life want to know how to have a successful relationship you know unfortunately I've turned into one of those assholes who's like people are like how did you know that he was the one and and I'm like no when you know you know (laughs) (laughs) but it's true (laughs) Um, but I, I want to be the kind of person who's like a really good parent, and and it occurred to me this morning, and and Alex knows I got really sad about leaving this morning. That what I never planned for was to be the kind of person who would have such good friends, who would provide the kind of support and inspire the kind of creativity that everybody here has done for me in the last five years that I've been here, and. A lot of you are sitting in this room, um, and I never planned for that. I, when I came here, it was all about me, and now that we're leaving, it's pretty much all about you guys. So, 
Thank you. No, that was great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I would say, if I had to say anything, it's that, that, that she and I echo the same kind of sentiment, which is leaving Chicago is going to be hard for the reasons that anyone who leaves a kind of place with lots of amenities and shit like that, like, I, I love this town. I love everything about it. But what Chicago is always going to be here. It's always going to be a place... Um, what we, what I am the most sad about, and what I think Allison's the most sad about, and I think what we don't know really how to replace is all of you. Um, and and I think that the friends that we've we've met and made in this in these past five years, the you guys are our real friends. Like, I you know. It, Proximity is always uh, a part of how you meet people and how you how you love people, but you guys are definitely people that it doesn't matter where I am. I think are the people that are my people, and I, that I think are Allison's people. And um, I, I love you all so much, and I, I thank you all so much for coming out to this, to being part of anything that Allison and I have ever been part of. Whether it's Nerdalogs, whether it's Madam Senator, whatever, um, I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful, uh, and, and I wish I could take you all this with me. Uh, you guys realize that Chicago sucks ass, right? <laughs> Uh, thank you so much to Alex for, for curating and hosting this night. Thank you to everyone who told the story. You guys were great. I do want to respond to something Allison said in her monologue. Uh, Amy Poehler did indeed marry Will Arnett. She's currently, they say, dating Nick Kroll, which I'm going to catch flack for this, I think, is a trade-up. Like, I don't know that I would take Nick Kroll over Alex, but I would definitely take Nick Kroll over Will Arnett. It'd be close. If Nick Kroll emailed me and was like, want to hang out, bro, I'd, I'd think about it if I was if I had plans to be him. I hope you understand. <laughs> yeah, it's Bobby Bottle Service. I will never not laugh at Bobby Bottle Service. <laughs> hey, bro. I'm gonna bounce this ghost. <laughs> if you haven't watched Troll Show, you are missing the fuck out. Uh, so this is the last song Alex requested, and it's pretty perfect. So let's let's play this shit.
For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.